Yeah, it's very cold. It's very cold in the Northeast. My train shut down. They just got so tired. <laughs> I, I, I know because I was working until 11 last night. Oh, <laughs> oh God. no. So I got to have one of these wonderful moments. This happened before where everything looked like it was running fine. Google Maps was like telling me to take a different train than the one I usually take mm. back up. So I, I still just do my normal thing because it was just like, I don't know why it's saying that. There were no delays listed on my regular train. So I go from the L to the one. And the transfer for that is you have to walk a full block. Right. You get to do it underground, but you it's a full you get block. You it's a, It's a treat. Uh, it's a yeah. nice little treat. Yeah, you get to go through a completely unventilated hallway where a guy's always burning incense and there's a dude singing horrible yes! covers of Beatles songs. Once you get to the one, <laughs> it's all construction right now. So like you can't like there's no part of the platform you can even stand on. It's like one of those things where it's like, OK, I could just die right now. Like if I'm walking in one direction and someone else is coming the other way, there's not enough room for two people. Oh, right, right, right. And yeah. I'm looking at Google Maps because like a couple of express trains are coming. And then it says that there's not going to be a one train for 45 minutes. Great. No delay listed. Just that there won't be a train for 45 minutes. Usually awesome. when it's that far off, they don't put that up on the board. They just it's just like a blank board with an advertisement for like the MTA or something. <laughs> there's no boards here. Oh, um, I see. <laughs> there's no boards at the stop. There is a single like lit thing when you're coming down the full block long hallway to tell you that you're too late, but it shows only <laughs> one train at a time. So it only showed the express trains that were coming up and it's like 30 seconds between each little Hell shift. Yeah. Hell it's yeah. one single line. So I last time that that happened to me, that was true. It There wasn't going to be another train for 45 minutes. So I, I took the entire block back to the L so that I could go take it another stop, get on the A. And then I saw that the next L, after the one I'd gotten off, wasn't going to be there for another 20 minutes. So what you're saying is that and you took an L. the next A was also going to be there in 20 minutes. You, you, I you, didn't. You, you, you took an L. I didn't take an L. You took a big L. I took zero L's because I went back up the stairs. I decided, <laughs> okay, I'll go to the A now. So I'm not going to walk two blocks in the cold. I'm going to walk one block in the cold. Because I have to walk four blocks in the cold to yes. get from work to the yes. train. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, so I head back over to where the one line is, and then I'm going to go up, go a block over, get on the A, and then a one train is in the station. <laughs> and I run down, and the doors close on my body <laughs> as I'm getting in that oh, train, motherfucker. At least you got in. Fucking pieces of shit. So I made it in. I didn't get dragged to my death by the one train like someone did three months ago. Uh, yeah. I'm unfortunately still alive. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast that is unfortunately still alive. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And this week, you know, we we have done so many bad things recently mm-hmm. that I think we kind of needed a bit of a balm. Yeah. And we figured, why don't we do something that we like? Or We're that talking about like. Hamlet again. A third yeah. time. <laughs> third time Hamlet! The saddest Danish boy! We're back, baby! Oh. We, we've 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 heard your notes. We had yeah. a couple people specifically tell us recently. I love when you talk about Hamlet. Please keep talking reason, about yeah. Hamlet. Not even joking. So we're doing it again. Uh, but, this is but not really. We're, it's, yeah, this not isn't quite. a not Hamlet quite. adaptation. This is a show that is near and dear to AJ's heart and my yes. heart. And Josh hadn't seen it yet. 
a Canadian TV show that isn't Trailer Park Boys or Letterkenny. Yes. They made a third show. They did. And it's called Slings Shit's and Arrows. Cr- oh, sl- yes, Slings yeah. and Arrows. Yes, Slings <laughs> and Arrows. Sorry. This was a very formative show for me in college. I remember being shown, I saw like a grainy episode on YouTube because, you know, this thing makes its way around yeah, theater used to departments. Be on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, it's one of these things that like, it's a rite of initiation. Like you go into your first acting class and you hear this whisper of, I mean, but you've seen Slings and Arrows or someone will say, horses do not like fire. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, you have to go check out the show. So I watched it on YouTube. I watched the first episode and this like it was so grainy and it was so hard to tell like who even anyone was. But yeah, the, it was like uploaded in 2008. Right, like. right. <laughs> but, but the dialogue popped so much that I like ran to uh, the local Sam Goody because I think there was still a Sam Goody around. And oh, then, no, hell I'm yeah. Sorry, it was probably it was a, an FYE at that point. No, no, it yes. was a Virgin no? Superstore. I apologize. It was a oh Virgin Superstore in we Union Square. We are so old. Yeah. Fuck. And, and uh, I went downstairs and they had the box set. So I bought the whole box set of Slings and Arrows and I binged it, I think, in like the course of two or three days. And it just imprinted itself on me in a very, very real way. And it was actually really kind of shocking to me, Josh, that you had never uh, watched the show before. I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that sort of permeates theater departments. And uh, I don't like theater people. I, I mean, I say that I hate theater people jokingly. Obviously, I am unfortunately one. And, you know, having watched this show, it just confirms it even more for me that I'm like, you know, I've still got the fucking bullshit romance and I hate myself for that. But... um <laughs> The thing is, I, I obviously, Brian, we did theater together in college and yeah. uh, I did hate that theater program and I hated a lot of the people in it. Not necessarily uh-huh. because they deserved it. Some of them did. It was a bad time where no one was happy and no, no one got along. I was extremely depressed. <laughs> I, I had I was in the second worst depression of my life. That time for me is not a good time in my memory. And so. I think that if I had had a positive association with it, I probably would have watched the show at some point. But we're not here for Josh's therapy session. We're here to specifically talk about this show and what makes it interesting. And AJ, I think you have some background on like how this thing got made, right? Yeah, sure do. So this thing uh, was originally the brainchild of uh, Susan Coyne, who is a very, I would say, famous Canadian playwright. uh, More like Susan Mint the Coin. I mean, truly, in this case, 100%. And in this case, that coin is a, a loony and or a toonie. <laughs> That's right, so, yeah, Brian. So uh, Susan Coyne was originally developing this show, Slings and Arrows, which was originally very much based on the Stratford Theater Festival, which yeah. if you are familiar with big and regional not, theaters. So, um, Stratford That's, hey, no, 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 Festival. come on now. Some people might know it. Yeah, yeah. but. For the most part, no. Um, Yeah. (laughs) The Stratford Festival is a festival in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. If you grew up in like the northern U.S. Midwest, you might have taken a trip there to see a Shakespeare play. Especially Um, if you're from like Buffalo or eastern Michigan or even Buffalo is the Midwest. And uh, (laughs) it's at the core of Canada's sort of theater world. They don't have a Broadway. They don't have a huge commercial theater scene. They didn't really have much of a professional theater scene in 52 or 53 when Stratford started, right? It was just a local journalist in Stratford who saw that steam trains were going out, which meant that all of the steam train based industry of Stratford, Ontario was going out. And this man who had never seen a play in his life was like, well, we're called Stratford. We're on the Avon River. Let's do a Stratford Shakespeare Festival. And what was that man's name, Brian? Tom Patterson. Hmm. Uh, He got the British director Tyrone Guthrie. They did Richard III with Alec Guinness and they just got it up and running. 
And it's, you know, they do 14, somewhere around 14 productions a year. I think they do a little bit less since 2020. Um, they have four permanent theaters. They have outdoor theaters. They have other spaces that they rent around town. And that's that's what the town is. It's a town that does the Shakespeare thing and mostly right. has very little else going for it, it. It, it. Like if you do theater in Canada, like it is sort of the premier spot to go. You know, yeah. it if, is, you, if you it do is... acting in Canada in general, like yeah. like uh, most of the people on this show, including the people making the show, have had some hand in the Stratford Theater Festival. Right. Um, Canadian actors who are famous in America, like Colm Fior, William yes. Shatner, Brian Bedford, all Rest of them were Stratford guys. That's that's what the Stratford Festival is. It is it is a true theater festival. It is something that has a repertory of plays that are done on a handful of stages. They switch stuff out night after night. It, the sort of thing that barely exists in North America at all. They also have a true resident company. Which yes. is a really important part of what makes this show, Slings and Arrows, what it is as well. The yes. people who've been with this company for years and years can actually make a fucking living in the theater. Because mm -hmm. every year, they're going to be back with the resident company doing another show. So most of them actually live in Stratford year mm -hmm. round. Right. Um, because it's a place where you can be. And, and, and there really isn't anything like this in North American theater no. anymore. No, yeah. like in the U.S., if you get an apprenticeship at a theater company, you will never go back to that theater company in your life. Correct. Like there yeah. is no preference for you whatsoever. There is no path for you to move forward and actually make money. Oftentimes you pay them because it's an opportunity. It's a complete fucking sham. But a place right. like Stratford, you can get an apprenticeship there and then you will work there the next year. And you can st and you can work there and work your way through the canon because, you know, Shakespeare yeah. wrote roles for pretty much any time of life that you might find yourself in so what you know with a theater festival there comes a lot of drama and there comes a lot of strife and then there comes a lot of like beautiful art that you sometimes make and you know susan coin was like what if we made that into a show and originally this was going to be a half hour comedy but then uh mark mckinney comes in uh when they get the producer over at rhombus and mark mckinney is an alumnus of the kids in the hall sketch show. Also an alumnus of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which we have covered on this podcast before. <laughs> Not at the time before. he made this Not show. Not at the time that he made this, but I, I, you know, you might also know him uh, if you watch Superstore, which is a, a workplace comedy that I think is very underrated. And uh, it's a very sort of grounded show. And then Mark McKinney is playing a character that he's just made this outrageous vocal choice for. And somehow it works because he is such a tremendous, tremendous performer. Uh, but he comes in and he's like, this needs more room to breathe. So let's like actually expand this out to be an hour. Like, let's actually get into the drama of this. Let's take this thing a little bit more seriously, not just make it wacky hijinks. Let's like really dig into the art. Yeah, of this. I think one of the original concepts of the show, they were calling it St. Ratford. Yes. Like it was going to be like uh, just satire on what Stratford is, the Shakespearean kitsch, the everything else, whereas this has turned it into more of a maybe not quite prestige drama, but sort of a, you know, a, a serialized dramedy. And it's not that it shies away from humor necessarily. It's just that that's not the, the point of it. Peter Wellington, who directed uh, every single episode of the series, said that he absolutely refused to shoot the joke. Like, the thing was not actually about shooting the jokes, it was about shooting the relationships between the characters. Then Mark McKinney brings on Bob Martin, who has had a lot of experience actually writing for television before. Uh, around the same time, he was working on a show called The Industry, uh, which was mm -hmm. formerly called Made in Canada, which was an adaptation of Richard III, set at a Canadian, like, CBC sort of situation so it's a it's like a canadian film studio mm -hmm. and bob martin had a lot more tv writing experience and the three of them get together and they just outline 
all six episodes of the first season. They write all six episodes of the first season and then they shoot all six episodes of the first season at the same time. They shot it in block, which means that every scene that you see set in Richard's office over the course of all six episodes were shot on the same day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. This is not normal. This is this is very unusual, but like you can see that this is operating on a shoestring budget. Yes, yes. And this is how they're able to get it done. Bob Martin, it should be noted, has also become a prominent musical theater writer. Yes. Uh, right as Slings and Arrows was finishing up, he worked on the Drowsy chaperone which then opened on broadway um he has also worked on the musical the prom yes there are a few others but those are the ones that people would know out of all of them of course the prom was made into a movie by netflix with james corden and i think bob martin adapted his uh his book into the screenplay so he also has uh, credit on that Uh, i also found out that bob martin's wife's name is janet vandergraff and i think that's very sweet because that is a character's name of the drowsy chaperone too bad he had to marry a dutch but um (laughs) (laughs) uh, we can't all be perfect so somebody had to marry me fuck you (laughs) (laughs) so they get canadian basically acting royalty to be on the show they get paul gross to come on to play jeffrey tennant they get martha burns to come on to play ellen fanshaw then they kind of populate the rest of the cast with like really big theater people it gives an opportunity for a lot of stage people to like actually get some screen time which i think is very lovely and they're not necessarily the most prominent theater people in the first season you get bigger Canadian theater names in seasons two and three once they have a little bit more money. Right. Well, and not a lot more money. Yeah. The concept had to get borne out first, though, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, yeah. It, the pitch alone, let's do an hour-long format dramedy about the comings and goings of a Canadian resident theater company. That's not a pitch that's going to immediately sell. And no. yet they sold it and they made yeah. the fucking show. Yeah. Like you have to remember, like in terms of Canadian TV, I'm you know, stuff like Trailer Park Boys became really big. Any right. most adaptations of like Anne of Green Gables can get some big funding and have some popularity overseas, of course. But Canada itself is not a big country. So stuff sure. like Trailer Park Boys was made for no money. That's why they did the fake documentary format. And this was right. made for no money because Canada has 30 million people. It's a, like it's a lot of land space and sort of a very small uh, population. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the reality to, to, to be to be really honest, Canada is just a petro state that happens to be part of the Anglosphere. It's yeah. no different from a place like fucking Kuwait. It just happens that it's really big. And because it has sort of an American style common law system of governance, everyone's like, yeah, you're great. And just like Kuwait, they have a hockey team. That's true. bro. Uh, That is true. That is the thing we found out today. That's right. We were exploring the state of international men's hockey right before we started recording. But yes, we might as well jump into recapping unless there's anything else that you wanted to say here. Uh, I just also wanted to say that one of the other huge names that came out of this series uh, and made her way into sort of more the movie sphere is a very young Rachel McAdams stars in this show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the writers conceived this to just be one season, like a one and done sort of season. Oh, miniseries. So, sure. A, li- a little miniseries because they didn't know if they'd be picked up for season two and they didn't really write a full series Bible for it uh, after season one. So this tells a pretty self-contained story. And I think that's why we wanted to cover it for today. And also just because we needed something nice. We needed something good and nice, especially especially after all that odyssey. We needed something heartwarming and lovely and something that reminds us why we love the theater. Well, let's start then with our adventure in the Odyssey of the North American Theater. Best transition man in the business, Josh Borman. Thank you. That's what they pay me the big bucks for. We go in and we start (laughs) off here in a theater. 
Uh, it's a yep. show about theater. We got to start off in a theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This theater has no money. Theatre sans argent, yeah. which means theater without money. There you go. Mm-hmm. Did and, I say uh, it right? No, fuck you. Um, <laughs> and we meet one of our key players French. pretty much right away. This is a guy yeah. named Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tennant. Tennant, played by Paul Gross. And he is plunging a toilet. And the, and the phones don't work because they haven't paid their bills. He is introduced with a very characteristic line of him. Well, the ancient Greeks didn't have phones and their theater did quite well. Jack off motion. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. This guy is kind of a pill and you get that yeah. pretty much from the word go. I just love that the whole series starts with him plunging a toilet. We also get one of his little trademark phrases. He's being told everything is hanging by a thread and he says he believes the best things happen when that thread is about to snap. Yes. And it brings us into really what sets the tone for what this show is going to be. Right. He starts to do this brilliant monologue and all of a sudden things around him become theatrical. He's up on a stage and he's surrounded by actors and, you know, he's talking about how big and beautiful and important the world of theater can be. Yeah, and he talks about the storm. The storm happens. Right, you know, right, think when right. we talk of horses that they appear. Yeah, the plunger in his hand becomes Prospero's staff and he becomes mm-hmm. basically the Prospero of theater, right? He's using his magic to conjure all of these otherworldly things to the stage. The bosun calls out, take to the topsail, lay her But the ship is torn apart by Prospero's magic. The mechanism of his revenge is set in motion. We're split! We're split! Farewell, my wife and children! All lost! All lost! The lights churn and swell and then the lights blow out. And we we start with with our seasonal theme song. Each season of this show has a theme song related to the main play of the season. Chin up, Hamlet! Chin up, Hamlet! Pack up your melancholy dine! So your uncle is a cad who murdered dad and married mum. That's really no excuse to be as glum as you've become. So so wise up, Hamlet. Rise up, Hamlet. This feels very English television to me, actually, which I, I kind of like. There... This is because it's Canada. It's like 75% American, 25% English. This part really is like, oh, this is this is fun because it's also a way of easing us into the world of the show. This is the bar that they'll always go to after shows. The guys singing at the piano are sort of our two like old timey comedic resident actors. You know, Mm -hmm. they both actually have English accents. Yeah. Um, And they're the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of of the. The com- and the thing was, when I saw the second episode of this show, I was so surprised to see the song hop up again because mm. I didn't realize they were doing it as a theme song. I thought it was just like, okay, this is the next scene. Right. Sure, right, the credits right, are playing now, over yeah. it. But yeah, um, very, very cleverly done. And it's yeah, and it's in universe. So we find ourselves at a rehearsal now for A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. And it is the main stage production, or it's not quite, it's like the sort of early season main stage production because their their main thing is going to be Hamlet. Yes. But right now, they're getting Midsummer up and running. And this theater now is not the theater we were at at the very beginning. This is not Jeffrey's broke-ass theater. Yeah. This is the New Burbage Festival set in the fictitious New Burbage, Ontario, which again mm-hmm. is a stand-in for the town of Stratford. Right. Um, and yeah, we're, we're here with Oliver, the artistic director. And he is, you know, doing his best. Uh, he's he's, he's really, he? I, I don't yeah. know. He's not actually. No, he's not. He's no, gassed. He's, he's doing his daily. He's yeah. doing just the job at this yep. point. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, he's got some fights that he needs to fight, right? Like his leading lady, Ellen, she's unhappy with the quality of the production. She yep. feels that her talents are not being correctly utilized. And based on what we can see, she's correct. Ellen and, is yes. a, a character portrayed through perfect Canadian shorthand. You know immediately that she's the biggest asshole in the room because yes. she apologizes all the time. Yes. yes. I was just yes. watching this yesterday at work with a, a coworker who is Canadian. She was like, oh, it's so good to hear all those stories. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry for caring. But the thing is, her note to Oliver, this is the interesting thing. She's 100% right. Yes. She's talking about this moment in the show where she's giving a speech and she's facing fully away from the audience, which is a bizarre and amateurish staging decision uh, right. made by a director who isn't really yeah, he's not really there he's directed the dream i think eight times before right yeah. he's checked out pretty much artistically entirely his big note is just yeah can we get a couple more sound cues of the sheep hey there you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of the worst of all possible worlds if you'd like to listen to the rest of this head on over to our patreon that's patreon.com slash worst of all and you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes, and if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.